The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from my house and in Los Angeles and from several other places around the country this morning. We're so thrilled to be here with you on this Monday morning where the ex-school teacher in me loves a good Monday morning. It's a fresh start. It's a new day. It's a, an opportunity to look at something and change something or do something new because it's a fresh start on a Monday. So we're thrilled to be here with you on this fresh start Monday. Uh, and we've got a big show for you. We've got a lot going on. We've got a wonderful expert and a wonderful guest that's going to be here. We want to remind you that this show is meant to be interactive. We want to know your thoughts, your feelings, your questions, and your concerns. We recently changed our format, and we appreciate you being patient with us while we work out some bugs. We are now coming to you in a different way, and it means that I can see that Michelle just said hi that quickly. So I don't know how long that took Michelle, but I, it just popped up on my screen. So I, we think it's a shorter period of time and we like to be more responsive because that's the whole reason for doing a live show, right? So we want to talk a little bit about how you can connect with us if you're watching the live show. We're, we're here with you, as I said, for the next hour live. If you're watching us live, you're probably watching us in one of a few different places, right? You might be watching us on our homepage, which Traven has put on the screen in front of you. Autism. Hi, Ginny. Uh, so uh, Autism Live, it's autism-live.com. That's our homepage. You can watch all of our videos there. You can watch us live there. You can post questions there. I will tell you that it is no longer the fastest way to get your question answered. It used to be the thing. This is faster. So we encourage you to watch uh, and leave live questions in the other four places that we are live, which is YouTube and also on Facebook Live. We are also live on Periscope and Twitter. So we're live on all of those places. If you're watching us in any of those places, we encourage you to use the tools that they provide to like us, follow us, write a review, uh, on and on and on. Hi, Avani. I'm doing well this morning. How are you? Uh, thrilled that you guys are here with us. Now, if you want to watch us recorded or you're like, hey, I just found you and I kind of like this show and I like how you can ask questions and I'm wondering who you've had on before, what else have you covered? Because we have been on the air now for, uh, I, I believe, so we're well over nine years. Uh, I, don't, I don't know where we are in terms of being at the 10-year mark, but we're well over nine years. So there's that many videos to look at, right? Uh, so if you want to watch us recorded, there are very specific places that you can watch both the show that we're doing today and the stuff that we've done in the past. So let's talk a little bit about that. 
by the way, you can go through all of our archives on YouTube and on our homepage. Those are all, and you can search by topic. It's so good. So, uh, but take a look at the stuff there in the right-hand column, because those are all the places that we podcast to. We are a free download on iTunes. And by the way, you can choose, do you want audio? Hi, Julia. Uh, do you want audio only? Or do you want to have sound and picture? Because you, you get to choose on iTunes. And it is a free download. Subscribe to us. Leave a review. We would love that. We are also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Ghana. Hello, Ghana. And now newly on Amazon Music, which everybody needs to check out. That's a brand new platform. I know for the whole last month I was teasing that we were coming to some new places. And that's kind of what I was talking about. We are also available on Audible and Deezer. And that's just the beginning of the list. We are available as a, a podcast. Hello, Julia. Uh, in many, many places. Now, our criteria is that we like to be free wherever we are. So if you can think of a place that has podcasts and you have not seen us there and it is a place that makes podcasts available for free, let us know. We'd be happy to search that out and Traven is so good. He he sets that up and we're clapping back to Julia. Okay, you guys. Uh, so uh, I, I want to mention at the start of the show, it's something that I always like to mention to you guys that we have a lot of experts that come on the show. I'm not one of them. My credential to be here is that I'm a very grateful, wonderful, proud. Well, I'm not wonderful, but I'm proud of the wonderful uh, son that I have that was diagnosed with autism. Good morning, Jacinda. Uh, thrilled to have you here. <clears throat> My son was diagnosed at two and a half, excuse me, and uh, he's doing great. We, I, I was a little late getting started this morning because uh, we, we were deciding by tonight at midnight, he has to narrow down which colleges he's going to and who he will go, who, if anyone, that he will do early decision. It's that time. Can pinch me, somebody, uh, but not too hard. I bruise easily. So uh, I'm so grateful, but this does not make me an expert in the field of autism. Let's be really clear about that. Yes, I have been hosting shows about autism now for, I don't know, 13 years and interviewed a lot of people. I'd like to say that I have an informed opinion, but not an expert. So please don't confuse me with the experts that we have here on the show. Please confuse me with somebody that cares deeply about your journey and, and I say you, because we welcome here on the show, the larger autism community. So that starts with individuals who are on the autism spectrum. We want to serve those individuals. And we also want to help everyone who loves those individuals so that they can be of better support and find more resources and more information. And, you know, that's what we're about here. Information and inspiration. That's what, that's the purpose we would like to serve here for Autism Live. We want to help all of those members of the autism community so that they do not feel like they are alone. No one is alone. We are all different. That is absolutely true, but no one is alone. And together we have a very large, large voice. So, but don't confuse me with an expert. Confuse me with somebody who wants to help that large autism community, which starts with individuals on the spectrum. I want to be clear about that. Uh, okay, so uh, we also want you to know that we, on Mondays, we like to start off the week with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani, nani are the experts talking about? 
What does this have to do with us? And why should we bother to learn this term? I'm seeing uh, somebody wrote in, I have two girls, one is autistic and the other little girl can't switch off before bed. And the school said we would do a referral originally and now they have changed their mind. Ooh, well, Bonnie's gonna be here in a little while. Let's bring that up to her. If you would do me a favor and write in what it is that the school said they would offer and what, uh, what, what's going on right now. Go ahead and write that in to us. Uh, but anyway, jargon of the day. So Traven, what is our jargon today? Ooh, expressive language. It's an oldie but a goodie. We like that. You know, we're we're back to school. Huh? <laughs> in some in some ways, we're back to school, and in interesting ways, right? Uh, it's like that Chinese curse: "May you live in interesting times." We are living in some interesting times, y'all. Yeah, right. So you'll hear this term used a lot in school setting. And I, I'm going to be willing to guess that on Thursday, our other jargon of the day will be receptive language. So let's talk a little bit about expressive language, because this is sometimes a, a large area of concern for individuals who are on the autism spectrum. We're going to give you first the actual definition that the experts give you, and I'm going to see if there's anything to be made fun of. Uh, expressive language, the production of language, including speech, signing, and or gestures for communication. All right. It isn't one that we can make that much fun of, right? Um, which is good. We don't want to have to make fun of definitions because they're so inscrutable, right? So I love here, though, the reminder to us that it is language that includes speech, signing, and or gestures for communication, what we really need to think of, and let's go on to our working definition so that we can get all clear about this. This is the, the child or the individual, anyone's ability to communicate their needs. And I always try to think of it as arrows going in and going out. So anything that I have from me going out that's communication, that's expressive. It does not necessarily have to be vocal. I know we all get concerned about the vocal speech thing, right? And we all want vocal speech for ourselves and for our kiddos. Listen, I had a terrible bout with uh, nodes on my vocal cords. And, you know, I used to be a performer and I had, uh, I, I had had like some sort of upper respiratory thing. And then I went to go perform for a summer in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And, you know, you do two shows a day sometimes, no days off. And so I developed nodes and they told me that I was going to lose my voice forever if I didn't go on vocal rest. So I had to finish out the summer. So I would go the entire day without saying a word and then do the performance. And then for two months afterwards, I had to speak as little as possible. So for a really lengthy period of time, I was communicating. I had a I eventually tied a, a string of yarn with a notepad over over my neck and a pen so that I could, you know, write notes to people. We all want vocal speech. Vocal speech is faster. It's, uh, you know, it's, listen, it's like I'm making up for it now. I talk so much uh, because I'll never forget it. And, and I think we all should spend a couple of months, months trying that to see what it is like for a person who is nonverbal, right? non-vocal because actually verbal behavior is what I just did, you know, using our hands, communicating, pointing our facial expressions, right? Those are all expressive. And we need to remember that only something like 18% of communication in the neurotypical world is vocal. 
So we always want to be shoring up at all expressive language because that is the bill. Hi, Nasser. And hi, Avani. Um, we we want to be building up expressive language. We want for people to be able to communicate their needs. And so sometimes that means giving them a functional communication that is not necessarily vocal. That doesn't mean we're giving up on vocal speech, but it means that we are giving somebody the right to be able to communicate their needs in the way that they can access right now. So I know there are many out of you out there that may have a child who is not yet speaking and you're concerned about it. I want to make sure you're getting good ABA and that you have a speech pathologist who's working with you. We want to rule out um, things like apraxia. And if it is apraxia, we want to get busy working in a different way than we would if it's not apraxia. We have to keep that in mind because we always want it to be fair. And for those individuals, it is harder. And we want to make sure that we're doing things that are productive, right? But if someone is having a, a significant time Access, a difficulty accessing vocal speech, we need to give them another form of communication. And the studies have shown very clearly that individuals that we give assistive device, for instance, an iPad or uh, have them do PECs, that they are more likely to get to vocal speech if we, uh, if they're, you know, I mean, there's a line, if they're able to vocalize, we double down on speech and just get her done, right? If that is a problem, then we give them functional communication a lot of times so that we can get to the vocal speech. It does not mean giving up. I always like to point that out. Okay, moving on. We always have a question of the day for you. And our question is, what message would you like to put on a t-shirt if you could like do anything and have it go viral? What message would you like to put on uh, t-shirt. Um, and I can't wait to see what you guys say. Um, the t-shirt that I, I wanted to make, I was asked to, cause you know, I love some skills. Skills is a, a platform that has so many different things to help individuals who are on the autism spectrum. It's, it's a tool, it's a massive toolbox. And, um, my son was uh, a card client and uh, the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. And I, and I like the biggest fan of skills. And I said that I wanted to make t-shirts that said card parents do it with skills. Uh, they thought it was a little too suggest, uh, <laughs> too suggestive. Uh, okay. Jacinda says warrior mom. I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it. What else would you guys put on a t-shirt? Um, this year is so different with gifting and things like that. And um, I don't know, I was thinking about, you know, for gifts for friends and family making individual t-shirts. Uh, somebody said that they would put love teaching autistic kids. Okay. Uh, if you could be anything in the world, be kind. Everyone has a story. Be kind. I love these, you guys. Let's open a t-shirt shop and like donate money to an autism charity. I don't know. Um, just a thought. But anyway, uh, keep those coming in because I, I massively, massively love them. We always have a topic of the week and our topic this week dun, da, 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 is using your voice. Now, <clears throat> I know that's power packed because when I say voice, I'm not just talking about the vocal production of sound, right? I think it's super important that we all have, as somebody, several of you said, everybody has a story. 
And I think that everybody has a viewpoint and being able to convey your viewpoint to other people in order to A, get your needs met and B, to be a part of society. It doesn't necessarily mean that you change someone else's mind. I think we see a lot of that going on right now that everybody has, oh, I love this t-shirt, making a difference through my autism story. Love it. Um, Because that's using your voice. Using your voice means standing up when there's a bully, right? Using your voice means saying no. Uh, Using your voice means being able to teach other people to be able to say no. Um, Autism teaching is great. I'm loving these t-shirts because they're all about having a voice. I I don't know if you guys know the peers program. And in fact, I need to make a note that we need to bring... um, I can't think what her name is right now, but the wonderful, wonderful lady. We've had her before on the show that started the Peers Program. And uh, we need to bring her back on the show. But the Peers Program, she invented it as a way to teach our kids, teenagers, to navigate the difficult social world that is our our, our world. Uh, because let's face it, it's so it was hard enough to be teenagers when all of us were teenagers. Now with cell phones and TikTok and whew, you know, there's, there's that much more. So she created the Pierce program. And what I especially love about it is uh, Liz Loggison. That's who it is. Dr. Liz Loggison. I knew it would come to me eventually. Um, but there it, it's two courses that are run at the same time. So the teenagers are taking the course and they're working together on things and they get homework. But in another room or on another Zoom call, the parents are also taking a course where they're learning how to support their teens and what the homework is so that we'll be successful. I don't know about the rest of you, but thank you, Elizabeth Loggison. I don't know about the rest of you, but, um, you know, sometimes somebody will assign my son some homework, but if I don't know what it is, I don't know whether he did it and I don't know whether he did it right and I can't support him in it. I might as well be with blinders, right? So I love that the peers program fills the basket for the parents so that you know what to do too. And I have not been through the whole program. I went through part of a training for one. And one of the best tips I got just from having, you know, been there for one day of training was t-shirts. That your t-shirt that you wear on your person is a billboard. It sends a message out to the world and says, hey, this is what I think, or this is what I like, or this is who I am, or, you know, these are the colors that look good on me. It sends a message. Even a white t-shirt sends a message. And one of the things that Dr. Loggison says is that if your child is not in a school uniform, when they are out with people, that is billboard space and that we should use it mindfully. And um, that for instance, if you are wearing a t-shirt and this is a perfect example for, for my son, because we utilize this when he started high school, his high school has a two day uh, boot camp that all the freshmen go on. And it's the only time that they're not in a school uniform. So we spent the summer finding the two perfect t-shirts. We wanted it to be something that had something that said, hey, I'm into certain video games, but we didn't want the whole general public to know what it meant. We wanted it to be only people who would get it, who like a specific game that he likes. So that was what one day was. And the next day it was some music that he liked. 
And it was insane that so many people came up to him and said, hey, dude, I like your T-shirt. That's so-and-so from such and such game. And, you know, he still has that group of friends and they are tight. They are online together every night during this COVID. He will have, they will be the best men at each other's weddings. You know what I'm saying? All because of the T-shirt. And not only did it help him to get friends, but it helped for the group to, because somebody would come up and go, dude, I like your T-shirt. And then another person would come up and then the three of them became friends. So that is using your voice, your t-shirt, and that is a form of expressive language. See how I tied that all together? Did you see that? Uh, I know it's early in the morning, but I'm trying. Um, So I I think it's important that we think about how are we using our voice? How are we connecting? How are we helping others to use their voices? Could you possibly tell me how we can get involved in the peers program and how card parents get more information on the peers program? Yeah. So the peers program is out of UCLA and you can reach out specifically to them and they do class, they do courses all the time right now. And they, um, they, they're available. um, I believe they're doing them on zoom. Uh, So you can reach directly out to UCLA to do that. The card, if you're a card family, And remember that there's more than one card, right? I'm talking about the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. If you are a member of that card family, then we have lots of people who are trained in the peers program and reach out to your supervisor and ask them if there is an online, I know they've been talking about it. Uh, I don't, I don't know that anybody has actually started an online group yet. I know it was something that they, but if they get enough interest, they will. So definitely, definitely reach out. Uh, I'm not, I don't, they said, how can we purchase t-shirts for you? Maybe some custom, I don't make t-shirts. I'm just talking about it. (laughs) So uh, we'll see if I, maybe Autism Live will put out a couple of t-shirts. We won't steal your ideas though, you guys. Uh, But maybe we'll do that as a fundraiser. I don't know. Just, just thinking about it, right? Because I was thinking about, you know, this, the Pierce program and the, and the whole t-shirt thing. And, um, and believe me, there are tons of, uh, we even did this for, right before we went back to distance learning because we are requiring our son to have his camera on and a lot of other students, their parents aren't. I don't, I, you know, what can I say? It's not, it's not what we're doing. It's not what I would, it's not what I think is best for education. I'm a former teacher and I don't know how you teach if you can't see your, your students. Uh, you know, if they were in the classroom, yeah. Uh, you know, I know many teachers who are visually impaired, who are able to do that. But if you were to tell them, oh, now you have to do it on Zoom and you can't see them, I think anybody would tell you, listen, you know, you're you're really making it hard for me to teach, really making it hard for me to teach. So I knew my kid was going to be on camera. And I said, we're right back there, which let's pick out some t-shirts that will be super cool for you to feel good and to send that message to people. This is who I am. So, uh, oh, and thank you, Jennifer. Jennifer, I was just saying that we have to get you on the show. So remind me, I, I owe you a phone call, but thank you for putting up the link for peers for Ivani um, and, and for putting instructions about it. We absolutely appreciate that. Now, um, Traven, is Vani with us before I get uh, too far out of, out of whack here? Yes, no, maybe so. Uh, yes, Bonnie is there. So let's go ahead and, and bring Bonnie Yates in. Bonnie Yates is a special education attorney extraordinaire. She works with Tolner Law Offices, and she is amazing. Hi, Bonnie. Good morning. Good morning. So thrilled to have you here. Thanks. Thank you. Nice to be here as always. 
Well, we're we're thrilled that you're here. Talk to us a little bit about Tolner Law Offices and how people can reach out to them and to you, if you would. Thank you, Shannon. I'm going to talk quickly about Tolner Law Offices. We're an eight attorney firm in California, northern and southern. We do the whole state. We have an attorney that's licensed to practice in Arizona as well and also Nevada. So if you are in any of those states, potentially we can offer you a free consultation. Um, if you aren't and you need a lawyer, which you probably do because you probably, I, you know, basically every family, as far as I'm concerned, that has an IEP needs somebody to sit down and explain to them the IEP process. The district isn't going to do it. The district gives you your procedural safeguards, and that's all they have to do in order to satisfy their legal obligation to educate you. But the education process is so much more. And typically on the show, we say, you know, hey, if you have a specific legal problem, you should talk to a, an attorney in your state that's licensed and knowledgeable about special education. And we mentioned COPA to you, C-O-P-A-A.net. Um, because those attorneys um, are part of um, the national organization. And basically, frankly, people don't belong to that organization unless they care about special ed. Here's the deal. I've been lucky enough recently to interact with some people on Autism Live who reached out to me independently of the show to have a consultation. And surprise, surprise, I haven't really talked to anybody yet who doesn't have specific issues. I mean, I think every person does have specific issues, and the reason they have specific issues is they don't understand the systemic problems of special ed are not unique to their school or their district. They're nationwide because it's an underfunded mandate. And so when we sit down and we talk with parents, there's a whole lot of, like, you know, preheating of the oven cycle where we just have to explain to you how the system really works as opposed to what you've been told. Um, in the autism context, um, you know, if I get a three or four year old, more times than not, people haven't adequately explained to that family how brain plasticity works and how ABA therapy works. So um, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, and we are going to talk about things of general interest on the show. I hope they're of general interest. But in terms of your specific situation, I can't imagine now if you're a parent with an IEP that you wouldn't want to talk with somebody about how your distance learning plan is working, how to tweak it if it isn't working, what to do if you need to get out of it entirely. And the people I've talked to from Autism Live, they've been like super respectful and almost like self-deprecating, like, oh, is it okay if I ask you this? And I'm like, well, hey, listen, that's what I'm here for. You know, I'm practically 62 years old. There's not a whole lot left to do except for, you know, try to reach out to a bunch more of you, you know, before I am no longer able to do this work. So don't be shy. Your case is worth it. You know, talk to an attorney in your state and get help because um, these are very challenging times. And when we talk with parents now, you know, we answer their general questions and then they're like, oh, God, now I have to explain to them how everything I told them doesn't apply now because school is closed. You know, so then we have to have the part B of the discussion. So I did some reading over the weekend. I wanted to look at the new cases, the new California cases, to see what kinds of issues were coming up. Specifically, I wanted to know what kind of guidance we were getting in terms of administrative decisions. Uh-oh. Asking, can we make sure, can we make sure that we have your email address because or where they could contact you at Tolner 
because people are asking before you yeah, get in. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Uh, do I just type it? No, 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 no. Just tell us what okay. your email. Uh, or- B, B as in Bonnie, Y as in Yates. So B Y capital B Y capital B capital Y small A T E S at Toner T O L L N E R law offices.com. Um, Anyway, what I wanted to see was what kind of guidance, administrative guidance, we were getting about these distance learning plan problems. And there were five decisions. The two that 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 were about those issues we've already talked about on the show. So I read the rest of the decisions and based on stuff that came up in those decisions, I'm just going to hit you guys with a whole bunch of stuff uh, that I think is germane. Okay, one is... We end up in situations where parents don't understand the purpose of the triennial evaluation and they don't get a good triennial triennial evaluation. And the law changed about, I don't know, five or seven years ago. And now parents can waive the triennial evaluation. You should never, ever, 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 in my opinion, waive your triennial evaluation. Because if you do that, and then later you decide you need an evaluation at district expense, you won't have one to attack. But um, there was a triennial evaluation in one of the cases that I was reading, and I thought, well, let me just talk to the parents about what, you know, what is this triennial evaluation? Well, you know that when you first, ooh. Sorry, I don't know, I, I, I've got to turn my phone off, I guess, because it, it, can you hear me, Shannon, or no? Yeah, sorry. Um, I can hear you. Okay, sorry about that, you guys. I have to kill my phone. I forgot how to kill my phone. Okay, um, so you know, you have your initial evaluation at age three. Theoretically, that's the soonest you could have idea services. Um, and then, and then there's there's another evaluation three years later. And you know, parents might be like, "God, I'm so burnt out on all this. I'm stressed. I don't really want to put my kid through another evaluation." So. I wanted you to just understand where the triennial evaluation fits into the general framework. So let me just read you a little bit about the triennial evaluation. Um, it's different than the annual evaluation because the annual evaluation is just like a, a progress assessment, essentially, uh, and it doesn't require a reassessment, although you can ask for a reassessment anytime you feel like you need one. But the triennial evaluation is going to revisit the question of whether the student is still eligible for special education and related services. And you could either view that as like, well, that's, you know, crappy. They're going to try to take away my eligibility. I think the other way of looking at it would be, no, we want to make sure that if your child doesn't qualify anymore, that we sort of are not saddling him with a bunch of obligations that might not be um, educationally relevant. So, um, as I said, the annual doesn't require an, um, an assessment, but the triennial does. Um, so the, 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 the thing- can, can I just ask a question, Bonnie, in your experience? Because I know a lot of people who have had a hard time getting an IEP to begin with, yeah. but once people have an IEP, I don't know a single parent where the school was like pressuring them to get rid of the IEP in fact, I know parents who said, I'd like to let the IEP go and that they've said, no, you still qualify. In your experience, though, as an attorney, have you once I see that it's really hard to get into the groove and get your services started. But once services start, 
I don't see schools understanding that a child could get to the point where they no longer need services. Mm -hmm. What about from your point of view? You know, I mean, uh, LA Unified for kids that had intensive ABA started targeting those kids if they were high functioning. And I've done a case and I know there are more where they said that the autism had no educational impact and they tried to make the student ineligible. Okay. All right. Parents would be afraid to consent to the reevaluation like, oh, they're going to take away my my eligibility and my services. That is right. It's true, Shannon. It's pretty unlikely. It does happen. It's certainly not our biggest, you know. Okay. Okay. So the purpose of the triennial evaluation is twofold to verify that the student continues to have a disability potentially affecting their opportunity to access the general curriculum and to identify the student's current educational needs, including the appropriate educational placement and any services needed to support the student's access to the curriculum. So that is the requirement unless you waive in writing your right to a triennial evaluation. So I, I wanted to mention that to you. Also, uh, sort of interestingly and strangely, generally if you're in your 12th grade year and you're about to graduate, right, with a high school diploma, even if your tri or your annual falls during that time period, they don't do a reevaluation because they figure you're gone by June. So if you want you know, a reevaluation and you're going to graduate from high school with a high school diploma, in the next little bit, you know, if you want the kid to be or the student to be reevaluated, you're going to need to ask them to do that and kind of talk them into the whys of that. Does that make sense? Okay. Totally. Okay. Total total change in topic. Um, in in the course of reading these decisions, um, there was a very very interesting case against Los Angeles Unified School District. And it was unusual, and so I decided I wanted to talk to you about it. The reason it was unusual is because the question or the issue was, did Los Angeles Unified School District deny student a FAPE by abusing student during the 2019-2020 school year? So this was a four-year-old student, and he had a speech and language impairment. That, that was what his eligibility was. Um, now, after I read the decision, I realized that what's really going on here is that this case is is um, paving the way for a civil lawsuit that the law firm is going to file. I mean, I haven't confirmed this, but I think it's what's going on. Under um, applicable law, if you want to file uh, like a damages action for Section 504 or ADA claims, um, you have to do, you have to quote, exhaust administrative remedies first. So this, this family um, is probably not done, but they got a very, you know, interesting and good and unusual decision, and I wanted to share it with you. So the, the student was, was in a class with a teacher who admittedly was understaffed and didn't have any special ed training. She was a 33-year veteran teacher. And the evidence was that he started the school year with no behavior problems, happy and cheerful. Within three weeks, he became aggressive, off task, and had a lot of interfering behaviors. So you can see the stage is being set for a problem because she's going to need some skills that she doesn't have. Um, 
I'm sad to say that I think this goes on more often than we hear about. This was an unusual case because um, there were some eyewitnesses, and so the thing got reported and investigated rather than, you know, just sort of like the parents making the whole thing up. So one of the questions OAH, the Office of Administrative Hearings, had to answer was, did they even have jurisdiction over these abuse claims? Because those are not theoretically special education claims, but they said that basically if the, um, if the alleged abuse um, resulted in a deprivation of, or you know, a denial of FAPE, they had jurisdiction and they took jurisdiction essentially to review the facts. So what they what they found? <laughs> Excuse me, one second. That to me, I just have a problem with that because how could anybody, if there is abuse, and abuse is a big word. There's so many different types of abuse. But if if we're saying that somebody is being abused in a learning situation, how could that not affect their faith? Well, you know, uh, you don't have to go there. You just have to see how it all rolled out in this case, and it'll make okay. more sense. I think. Okay. Okay, so OAH basically said what, you know, they looked at the, the, the district did this investigation and concluded that the teacher should not be prevented from returning to the classroom. Now, they removed her from the classroom and put her on paid administrative leave, but she was back two weeks later. And so the question was, what were the things she did that constituted a denial of FAPE or potential denial of FAPE? Well, one thing was, Apparently during nap time in her class, the student would be kind of rambunctious. And so she took him one day and put him out of the classroom and the principal found him sleeping on a dirty rug outside her door. Um, the other issue involved a day when she was obviously again having trouble with him and she took him outside and his grandfather, I guess had just dropped him off at school or was bringing something to school and his grandfather saw her with the kid and he was like, oh my God, that's, you know, the student. And then he saw her shake the student hard for, I don't know, five or 10 or 15 seconds or something. So OAH looked at this in terms of were those interventions, were those behavioral interventions that she used legal or not? And did they deny him a fate? So um, he was in TK. And his only services were 120 minutes a week of speech and language. And I always wonder, and I think this might be me being too, um, you know, like uh, influenced by my autism experience, but I'm always suspicious when somebody just has a speech and language problem, that there's not more going on from a, either a language learning, you know, specific learning disability problem, or do they have some soft signs of autism that wasn't covered. Um, the teacher had asked for more help at the beginning of the year. She said she was overwhelmed. And they they didn't give her that help. She'd only had three IEP students prior to the student. She had no background in special ed, no behavior training. And as I said, um, he started to act out. So she had a school psychologist come into her classroom, but the school psychologist did not offer extra services. The school psychologist said, some of your communications with him are too like language overpowering and he can't do it. So you've got to modify the way you're delivering the instruction. Um, so probably if the 
principal hadn't seen him sleeping outside and then the grandfather hadn't observed the shaking, nobody would have known what was going on with this little four-year-old. But um, what happened, I think, was like the dam broke, you know, and then people couldn't be complicit and quiet anymore. They were going to get in trouble. So, so, Bonnie, did the principal do something when he saw him sleeping outside on a dirty rug? What was the upshot of that? He took him to his office and let him sleep on the couch. But the teacher wasn't reprimanded or put on administrative not to my, leave? Not to my knowledge at that point, no. Okay. Okay. Um, anyway, the, the putting him outside like that, you know, um, is, is considered to be uh, an inappropriate behavior intervention because he's not adequately supervised. So that's California Education Code 56521.2. Anyway, what happened was once the grandfather observed the shaking incident and they did the investigation and they returned her to the classroom, they took him out of school. And he was out of school for six weeks um, prior to being able to enroll in a new school. So part of what the decision is looking at is whether or not he's going to get comp ed for those six weeks. I mean, there's a lot of different things going on in this decision. But if we had time, if we have time or a little more time, I thought it was so interesting that I actually decided to talk, <clears throat> excuse me, about the, deci the, the decision in depth. Okay. Because when I started reading this, you know, I was like, eh, you know, this will probably just be another kiss off. Usually these things don't really get properly addressed. Um, but I was really pleased to see that that wasn't the case. And it was some combination of he was only four, for God's sakes, you know, and also that the, that the, that the people that testified from the school district and you can read the decision and their names are public. They were viewed by the hearing officer as not credible. Like the principal was kind of trying to cover for what he did, and the teacher was trying to cover for what she did. But then there was some third person who was a witness who basically, I think, just like called it the way he saw it. So they concluded that that LA Unified committed a prohibited intervention, intervention, excuse me, that was likely to cause pain. And I will supply you, I brought them to, to the show, but we might run out of time, but I will supply you with the education code sections on emergency behavioral interventions. But the gist of it is um, that um, you have to, first of all, you cannot use interventions that cause pain or humiliate the student or are an affront to their dignity. You have to use positive behavior interventions. And if you have what's called an emergency behavioral intervention, you in California, you have to notify the parents within one school day so that the parents have a chance to weigh in on whether these emergency behavior interventions should be used in lieu of planned systematic behavioral interventions. And you're supposed to have a, a behavioral emergency report immediately completed and put in the file of the student. So you can guess where this is all going. LAUSD did not do those things. Okay. They didn't do that. They didn't do the report within two days. And then what they're supposed to do after the report is prepared is schedule an IEP meeting um, to review the emergency report to determine the necessity for a functional behavior assessment and to determine the necessity for an intervention, excuse me, for an inter interim plan. So the district didn't do any of that. Um, 
LA Unified did not schedule an IEP team meeting to address the behavioral emergency students education program or determine the extent to which intervention supports or services, including, including positive behavior interventions, um, might be needed and, if necessary, reevaluate student. The prohibited interventions and parents' removal of student from the classroom were significant events impacting students' educational needs. Accordingly, an IEP team meeting should have been promptly convened to consider students' needs and supports, as well as remedy any denial of FAPE. Because Los Angeles failed to complete a behavior emergency report or schedule a time, timely IEP after the shaking incident, it resulted in an educational loss to student. Students' education program was in limbo when Los Angeles should have been taking action to ensure student received the services in his IEP. These failures impeded students' ability to access his gen ed program for the six-week period he was out of school and resulted in an educational loss. So then they go on to examine how the, um, how the two prohibited interventions uh, resulted in a loss of educational opportunity for the student, and they, they determine how much comp ed he's entitled to. And the judge says specifically, in analyzing the impact of the two prohibited interventions used, the young age of the student and his speech and language impairment were considered. Um, they go on to talk about the need, you know, the education code codifies the need for positive behavior interventions. Um, I'm not going to go into all of that, but the point was, um, it was an unusually good decision. I mean, horrible circumstances, but, um, but taking seriously the question of, of um, inadequate or inappropriate behavior support. When a child's behavior impedes a child's learning or that of others, the IEP team must consider strategies, including positive behavior interventions and supports to address that behavior. When behavior intervention supports and other strategies are used, they must be used in consideration of the student's physical freedom and social interaction and be administered in a manner that respects human dignity and personal privacy. Hold on one sec. Yeah. Um, aversive behavior interventions or negative consequences or stimuli used to change a student's problematic and disruptive behavior. So basically, you know, Shannon has said a lot of times on the show that she's very sympathetic to teachers in situations where they aren't given the tools they need to do the things they need to do for students. And clearly that's the, you know, the issue here, but you can sort of see how things can go very wrong in a short time when people don't have the supports they needed. I mean, I don't even get the impression from reading the decision that this kid was a particularly behavioral kid until he started receiving, being on the receiving end of the teacher's frustration. So there's just no way having said all this that Shannon isn't gonna have like 15 things to say. So let's let her rip. Well, you know, as a former teacher and as a teacher who have, has been in a classroom and said, I'm having behavior issues, I need some help. I know what it's like when, when, you know, your principal and your school like doesn't have anything. It's, it's like the wizard of Oz when, you know, they go into the bag and he goes, Oh, I don't have anything for you. Um, it's not an excuse for being abusive to a child. If you are in the job and you don't know what to do and you reach out to your superiors and they don't help you, 
that is not an excuse to abuse a child. Just want to say that. And I think that any good teacher worth her salt would agree with me, well, right? She, she abused him and then she lied about it when she got caught. She said it was a behavioral technique that his speech therapist was using with him, the shaking. Yeah. Well, she's 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 somebody who should have retired before this. But I tell you whose feet I lay it at, I think the principal. Uh, the principal, you know, when you are a principal, you are on campus and you are responsible for all of those kids and you're responsible to know that the teachers are teaching them and not being abusive. I've seen good principals and I've seen bad principals. And I've seen how good principals run their school and they... They make sure that someone from admin walks through every single classroom unannounced every single day. And if, you know, I would say to parents, if you want to get a feel for is your child at a good school, ask, does that happen? Because it should be happening. There's too much that happens in schools that somebody doesn't have eyes on. But the principal did have an eye on something. That's right. why I and said. I think, I, think that, I think the principal's hope was that he was just going to be able to talk to her after the first incident and then. It would all go away. I'm right. sure he wasn't down for having an internal investigation and then having the police be involved. Yeah. Well, I mean, that person deserves to lose his job because he didn't feel like checking it out for a child. That goes against everything that they are supposed to do as a principal. Um, so I, I have no, I have, I have no patience with that principal. Just saying. Uh, our kids, you know, when we turn over our kids to be with people to be educated, we have an expectation, and this was not met. And, um, it, you know, you can tell it riles me right up, but I'm so glad that you shared this with us. Cause I think that there are nuances to this that we need to know as parents, how wrong this is. Um, and so this is really good, valuable information. I want to know, we did have somebody, we've got a couple of minutes, Bonnie. We did have somebody who wrote in a question. Okay. I'm not entirely sure that I understand the question. Uh, but the, she tells us that she's got two children, one that is autistic, and, and but another one, her, her non-autistic child is someone who cannot switch off before bed. The school said that they were going to do a referral. Now, I assume that that's a referral to get her tested. I don't know. Um, but they go on to say that the teacher said she wasn't sure now and that they aren't having assessments in school because of COVID that she thinks she's just going to leave the situation as it is. And mom thinks that that's a kick in the teeth. Um, so uh, she's, and, and mom says, yes, that's right. Um, so we, we've talked did? about this a lot with you about when they use the excuse for COVID and not doing assessments. What do you want to say to this mom? California Department of Education compliance complaint. If they're not in California, because I don't know for this family, if they're not in California, is it the same everywhere? We're just not sure. Well, it, it, it's the, it, it is not necessarily the same everywhere because CDE has been doing a great job of working with the districts and figuring out these assessment issues in your own state. Ah, uh, they're in the UK. Um, okay, well, let's just answer the question generally. Okay. Um, I don't I don't know what the laws are at all in the UK, but in the 50 states here, there would be something called child find, which basically means, you know, if your child is um, not eligible for special education and related services, but they should be. Um, sorry, hold on. Sorry. Okay. Problem. 
Um, we know you're a busy lady. Well, only when I'm on the air. Uh, <laughs> um, so they have a duty to search out and 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 identify and assess kids in their in their catchment area that potentially um, need special education and related services. And so uh, CDE stands for California Department of Education. But anyway, the point is. If the district knows that this kid is suspected of having some kind of a disability based on his bedtime behaviors, the threshold for the assessment is low and they need to do an assessment. If they don't and they're in, in, in the United States and that student continues not to be identified, if somewhere down the line that student gets identified, they're going to have the problem of having had a basis of knowledge and not having investigated properly. There you go. There you go. And I think we all need to be pushing back when people use the excuse of COVID. You know, there's all kinds of times when school districts have said to me, well, we can't do this because, and it's something that has to do with them. And my pat response for them is, oh, right. I'll ask him not to have autism during COVID, or I'll ask him not to have autism during the AIDS lunch break. Do you know what I mean? Just to show them the ridiculousness well, of their response. They know that it's ridiculous, but this is all they have is distance learning and they're pretending that it's fine. Um, I want to go back to the child fine for a second, if yeah. I have another minute. Yeah, because, you do. Because again, my handy dandy special ed connection checklist on child <laughs> fine says these are the things that you, you're, you as a district want to be doing to to identify kids in your catchment area that might have autism i mean that might have a disability and i think this will be interesting to you because it's not just like oh the teacher who works with him observes so what the public schools are supposed to be doing first of all is publishing uh information in the local newspaper uh annually and on its website about the IDEA process. So that's one thing, is publishing in public papers. The Number two, the district sends its child fine notices to all area clinics, doctors, preschools, and daycare centers in conjunction with preschool screening activities, usually conducted with local preschools and Head Start. Okay, so that's another thing that you probably weren't aware of. The district screens all children entering kindergarten to identify children with suspected disabilities. Universal screening people, that's what we should be doing. Typically, the early education teacher, special educator, speech language pathologist, and school psychologists implement the screening. That's, you know, so important, and I'm not at all sure that it goes on in, in, in many districts. The district screens all transfer students to identify those students who may have been receiving special education and related services in their prior district, which would of course give rise to a presumption that you continue to need them in your new district. The district distributes to the parents of older students who are new to the district a handbook on the school district special services. The handbook also contains directions on who to contact if the parents suspect their child may have a disability. The district requests that parents and guardians complete a detailed questionnaire. Questions may address school history, present medical status, previous diagnoses and treatments, and home behaviors. The district considers all parent and teacher referrals, not making those people feel guilty that they're referring. And then the last one, the district student services team, the SST team, or the teacher assistant team 
reviews the files of all students with a health plan to screen for special disabilities. So you can see that the child find obligation is quite broad. It's actually, you know, it's intended to work. It's, it's yeah. the idea is to not leave anybody behind, right? Yes, I will say that we, we appear to have a large UK audience today um, uh -huh. and that that is a United States thing. And, I, and I, we're, we're like out of time. So I want to say, first of all, to Daniel, who just wrote in a question about potty training, please, can you resubmit the, the, the question on another day? Because unfortunately, we are out of time. Really quickly, Avani wants to know, can we bring a psychologist from outside to the school district? Do it all the time. We do it every IEP meeting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lot. Um, they're they're gonna they're gonna find some issues though when they go to bring an outside psychologist when the psychologist wants to observe. Of course, it's all different right now because of COVID, right? Well, but they can I, do the distance learning program. Yes, but in the past, when you wanted to have, have a psychologist come to view in school, your district could put limits on how long they could watch. I know, you know the we talked about that on the show, and we could talk about it again, but. You know, 15 minutes is an unreasonable limitation. We're usually able to get 90 minutes or two hours because we know what the law is. If that's something people would like to hear again, we could talk about that next week. Okay. I want to make sure, though, that we just, like, put that out there. Uh, any website I can find all about the child find? Where would they go to find that information? Um, rights law, special education rights and responsibilities, or if you just Google child find, you'll find a lot of stuff. Google Scholar. Okay. Bonnie, you're amazing. I mean, the child, just... find, the child find is the law in all the states and people don't know about it. And where it becomes important is if the district doesn't find you eligible for six months or a year, they're going to owe you compensatory education for the special education you should have gotten and didn't get in that time period. Anyway. Really good thing. We are out of time. So I want you to take a minute here to just tell us about Tolner Law Offices, where we can find you and where we can find them. Okay. Well, I'm going to totally override that because I'm sure okay. people can Google Tolner Law Offices. Okay. My, my t-shirt people says one, one foot in front of another brain plasticity rocks. Brain plasticity rocks. That's amazing. So this is a super slog, and you guys are all doing incredible work, not only educating your child, but educating yourselves. And I'm telling you, if you can just, like, make sure you have enough oxygen and put one foot in front of another and you keep doing this, the you know, education works. That's my, you know, so maybe that's my T-shirt, education I, works. I love your T-shirt. And we put on the screen Tolner Law Offices, and the website is specialeducationcouncil.com. Uh, and they said you were both extremely helpful today and extremely all in caps. And I like it when we're helpful. So, and I know you're always helpful, Bonnie. Thank you so much for being with us. We're totally out of time. Have a great week. You too. Take care. Right, bye -bye. Bye. Uh, I just want to say to you guys, tomorrow on the show, we have the best of Temple Grandin. We're, it, it is a pre-recorded set of interviews that we have done with her. You'll want to check that out. But on Wednesday, we're back here live with Dr. Doreen Grampichet. On Thursday, we've got a mom blogger that you are going to love. Kirsten, I think is how you say it properly, Hunter is going to be with us from the blog Behind His Eyes. That's on Thursday. And then on Friday... We, you guys asked for the research about gen genetics and autism and our people got it together and they're presenting on it to you on 
Friday during Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. That's our week. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Bye.